It's time for episode 497 of the Clockwise Podcast from Relay FM, recorded Wednesday, April 5th, 2023. Clockwise, four people, four tech topics, 30 minutes. Welcome back to Clockwise, the tech podcast that's 30 for 30 minutes, that is. My name is Dan Moore, and I am the co-host, and I am joined across the internet by my good friend and my pal, the amazing, the wonderful, the tutorful, it's Micah Sargent. How are you doing today, Micah? Wow, I am doing much better now. That was great. Uh, I, I appreciate that very kind introduction. <laughs> <laughs> that sounded a little forced, like I had like a gun to your head. I'm more just, I, I'm just uh, sort of processing it. It just was uh, a lot of kindness so early right. in the morning for me, and I'm okay. just uh, just taking it all in. <laughs> well, it's a short show, so you'll have time to process it maybe by the end. Uh, this is, of course, the show where we invite on two fantastic guests to talk about four topics. To my left this week is the illustrious and incredible and illuminating technology reporter at the Washington Post. It's Heather Kelly. Welcome back, Heather. Wow. Thank you, Paul. I don't know what he's going to say for you, but it has to be a disappointment after these. It's it's not going to be good now. Yeah. <laughs> uh, to my left, it's the exceptional, the one of a kind, the CEO and lackey of Rogue Amoeba. It's Paul Cafasis. Hello, Paul. Hello, everyone. Uh, is it too early to celebrate your 500th episode? Is it a jinx if I congratulate you on that? <laughs> oh, man. Now we're going to like break a leg or something. Yeah, <laughs> right. My microphone has died. I don't even know I, what would happen. I noticed we were going to be 497. And I was like, man, I should have held out for, you know, three more episodes. And I could have been on that one. But yeah. uh, well, congratulations yeah. on 497 episodes anyway. <laughs> thank Yay. you. Thank you. Shame we never made it to 500. Well, uh, <laughs> let's get underway here. My first topic, GM announced this past week that it is dropping support for CarPlay and Android Auto in future cars, especially EVs. I want to know if this is a you think this is a big deal for the market at whole and then more, you know, personally, how important are these features to you in a car you are buying or renting or leasing or what have you? Heather, let's start with you. Oh, good. A, a car question. Um, <clears throat> I um, after my uh, Honda Civic was stolen for the third time, um, I finally got rid of it. So I am living in the modern age. I have a, a Volvo, uh, but I have never found any of the OSs in cars to be helpful at all and then when like carplay and on uh, android auto came around i'm like you know what i'm good i just plug my phone in and tap that and i feel like that's a perfectly fine solution for me for the rest of my life i've never been interested in exploring <laughs> deeper integration so my answer is i think it's fine i'm gonna i'm gonna be fine personally hmm. I'm a little uh, bothered by this because uh, The Verge did a lot of reporting on this. And one of the things that they sort of discovered in the release is that uh, what the company seems to be after is a bunch of user data. Uh, whenever you were using Android Auto or you're using uh, Apple's CarPlay, um, a lot of that information is either not available to the car's owner or to the to the manufacturer of the car, or it is available if they have kind of a deal in place with the company that's doing the projection system, be it Android Auto or Apple CarPlay. 
So if it's all working within the car, then they can get that data. And especially as these uh, infotainment systems uh, add more features, including things like speed and uh, all of the sorts of the little manufacturing bits inside of the car, like uh, engine check stuff, they're going to have a lot more access to that. And then it also opens the door for them to potentially offer subscription services for some of the more premium features that you could have. So all of this, to me, is just cash grab data grab. I'm not surprised, but I don't like it. Paul, what are your thoughts? Well, I've had the same car for 17 years and it definitely does not have any screens in it. Uh, but after after many years of mounting my phone like an Uber driver, uh, <laughs> I finally managed to get CarPlay in my car. I got a small tablet that runs some sort of hacked version of CarPlay uh, and it's great. Uh, and I've enjoyed it. So I'm sort of the opposite of Heather. I, I uh, think it it's much better than uh, just using the phone on a mount. Uh, so to me, this is I I would immediately dismiss buying a car that did not have CarPlay. Uh, and the the data gathering aspect of it is sort of one of the, the things that's been kicked around as the reason why they might be moving away from CarPlay. And I think that's interesting and a little disturbing. But uh, I, I very much suspect that this decision will not stand up. And I think that they will wind up bringing back CarPlay support just based on the uh, consumer response to not having it. So I I suspect that it won't be a big deal because they'll realize that it is a big deal and they've screwed up and that they'll bring it right back. But uh, to me, it's pretty important to have that support in the car because my phone gets upgraded frequently and my car clearly does not. Uh, so if and when I ever buy a new car, uh, I want it to have something that upgrades itself, basically. Yeah, I I went from the stage of, so my car is about 11 years old and maybe three or four years ago, I put in a CarPlay unit. I was able to do it basically myself, pull it out and pop in an, uh, basically an OEM unit that is like a newer model for my car that has CarPlay in it. And it has been awesome. I really love having CarPlay. I find it very convenient. Um, and I don't ever want to go back to another system because fundamentally what it came down to for me is the like the car infotainment slash navigation systems. They're almost all awful because this is not what those companies are good at, right? They're, they want to build a car. They're not like electronics or, or, or software developers uh, concerned with user interface, or at least it has not been demonstrated to me that they seem to care about user interface. So most of the other times I've had to use other cars, like rental cars or whatever, without CarPlay, I find them very frustrating for the most part um so i i think it is a big deal for me too i'm not sure that a gm ev was in my future anyways but this would certainly be a mark against it uh I like Paul. I think I'm a little skeptical that this this decision will stand because I do think there are a lot of people who are feel strongly about it. But you know, as Micah pointed out, it's the data gathering. It's also just the it's the control and the subscription revenue part of it. I think that's the big part. Is like a lot of these companies look at it as like, oh, why are we why are we letting Apple and Android run this when we could have our own app store? You know, make deals with these partners, get some revenue kicked back to us there. Like all of that stuff, I think feels just like it comes down to essentially just we want to get more money and own more of this and let people, you know, decide for people what they're going to have access to or not. Uh, but I think that they, if you're banking on the fact that people care more about their car brand than their phone that's in their pocket all the time, I think you're probably banking on the wrong end of things. But thank you all for your thoughts on that. Let's go to our second topic, which comes from Heather. Um, all right, I'm going to kind of use you as a brain trust here. Uh, I'm running out of relaxing things to do on my phone. Uh, and in real life, I've taken up crochet. I've taught myself how to do a Rubik's Cube. Uh, most recently, I've been doing like Sudoku puzzles at night in bed with a little book light. 
So what are some soothing activities? It could be games, definitely not Twitter. Um, books I have on my phone, that one's taken care of. But what are soothing things on your phone that are like, yeah, man, life is okay. Everything's going to be fine. Honestly, it really is for me, uh, crosswords. I play the New York Times crossword. Every day it comes out. Sometimes I do two or three a day if the uh, if I've ran run out of the one that's newly published. Um, outside of that, I don't know if it's going to be as great on an iPhone as it would be on a bigger tablet, but I really do recommend uh, some of the coloring book apps that exist. Um, they I, I found them actually quite relaxing. And what I love is that at the end, you have something that you've made that you can then you know, if you want to just save it to your phone or if it, you know, however you want to do it, it is uh, kind of nice. And then the last thing I'll mention is that if you have Apple Arcade, um, there is a great game in the Apple Arcade store um, whose name is now escaping me. However, it is a um, jigsaw puzzle game and it is they they've nailed it in terms of uh being it's called patterned and they've nailed it in terms of turning a jigsaw puzzle into something that you can play on a phone so yes patterned for sure uh any kind of coloring book game and then the crossword is how i zone out and sort of relax on on my phone paul what about you well, I have the the snootiest, awful answer to this, uh, which is which is really putting the phone down. Mm-hmm. That is my most relaxing Ooh, phone activity. Good. I know, I know. That's the I don't own a television. Blah blah blah. Uh, I, I definitely do do uh, one, two, two, and sometimes three crossword puzzles a day. Uh, so that's that is one that I think is is fairly relaxing. Obviously, uh, that was in your question. That's what Micah said. That's what I'm saying. Uh, but yeah, I, I very much make an effort to put the phone down and be on it less. I'm on it way too much. We all are. But I, I certainly will not say I'm not on it too much. Uh, but I my go to is literally putting it down and trying to be present in the real world with a book. Uh, I like your your in in person or, you know, physical Sudoku puzzles. That sounds good to me. Uh, you know, r- other physical activities in the real world sound like a better bet to me than trying to relax with the phone where notifications are going to hit you, where Twitter is a tap away, etc. Yeah, I mean, I <laughs> I want to say I'm doing the same because I definitely don't, but I I feel the same press, and I think that there is, you know, it is a struggle sometimes to find things to relax you on the phone when every everything is just like, oh, let me check in on Slack, let me check in on Discord, because that's what I do. I do that all the time, and I need to tell myself not to. So my my biggest off phone relaxing thing is going for a walk. But on the phone, I am also a crossword <laughs> junkie. So <laughs> I feel like maybe we should start a crossword support group. Um, I do the New York Times crossword puzzle every day. I still play Wordle every day. I got my Wordle in one the other day because it happened to be my oh, you got word, it in one. It was my starting word, which I've been using every day for like the last year, and it finally came into oh, that's the rotation. Funny. <laughs> uh, so I'm like, yes, I should retire now. Nope, I'm going to keep playing. Uh, my latest game edition that is sort of a crossword puzzle um, is Not Words, K-N-O-T Words, um, which is a really fun game um, by, uh, uh, oh God, I'm blanking on his name, but he's made a lot of great games uh and uh zach gage um and so it's a basically like a crossword puzzle crossed with like anagrams 
and almost like a Sudoku-ish feel to it. You got to assign letters to grids and make the words. There's no clues or anything. It's like you got to like anagram the letters in various sections. And I don't know. I, I got really into it. It has a daily puzzle, has lots of puzzle books. And like there was a day uh, a few weeks ago, I don't know. I just needed something to concentrate on. And I did like 10 puzzles and was just like blazing through them. So uh, that game has like let me take my crossword stuff and then like take it to a new level by working in like the anagrams into it and just, I don't know, finding a new way to like train my brain so that's my best sort of relaxing thing other than getting off the phone or probably just you know watching tv (laughs) if you really want to turn your brain off that's that's the way i usually go heather why don't you wrap this up for us all right so um my my one thing i do that's weird is i open google photos and i i like make albums that i'm never going to print that's a fun thing i do and i also i also love like training their ai (laughs) They're like, is this the same person or not? And it feels like a really fun game to me. <laughs> I don't do it for entirely you too long. No, it's, um, I was like, this is relaxing. Yes, that is my child. No, that's a different child. And then, you know, <laughs> it's bedtime. So, um, but I was really looking for these soothing games. So I love, because when I get a soothing game, it's always soothing for five minutes and then there's a bunch of ads and it's junky. So mm-hmm. I'm going to steal these. Thank you guys. All right, that's two topics down, two topics left to go, which of course means it is halftime here at Clockwise. And this week's episode is brought to you by How to Fix the Internet, an original podcast from the Electronic Frontier Foundation. Look, sometimes it can feel like we're lurching towards a digital future that nobody wants, but it doesn't have to be that way. There are choices we can make to create an internet that makes a better future for all of us. Technologists and policymakers have real solutions to problems facing our online world today, so we can build an internet that has all of the good things that we want from tech with none of the creepy stuff. Your hosts are Cindy Cohn and Jason Kelly. Cindy is the executive director of the Electronic Frontier Foundation and has been in the trenches, the courtrooms, and the boardroom of tech activism for decades. Jason joins the show this season. He's a digital strategist and activist with EFF, where he focuses his work on privacy, free speech, and surveillance. In each episode, Cindy and Jason invite someone with a vision on how to fix the internet, someone with real solutions on how to move the needle towards a better online world. The show will make you feel better about our digital future, be more knowledgeable about what needs fixing, and be more engaged to demand change. Episodes are available anywhere you listen to podcasts and at EFF.org slash podcast. I was just listening to an episode with uh, Annalie Newitz on it, who is a science fiction author and science journalist who I uh, have been a fan of. And they're talking about sort of this never ending idea of change uh, and how you try like when you hit the victory point of like you feel like you've won a battle. But it turns out that revolutions are just kind of long and like you never really win. You don't have the the same sort of victory moments you do like in a story, right? Like in a novel where you get to the end and you beat the villain and it's all over. And so they're talking a little bit more about things like why these are always sort of the arcs that that happen here. In particular, I love that they talk about Andor, which is a series that I really enjoyed recently and how it's a good depiction of like how brutal everything is. And like even when you win, you kind of still lose at the same time. So as a science fiction writer myself, this really hit close to home for me. And I, I enjoyed that conversation quite a bit. So search for How to Fix the Internet in your podcast player. We'll also include a link in the show notes. Our thanks to How to Fix the Internet for their support of this show and all of Real FM. All right. Halftime is over. And Micah... What do you have for us? So assuming you have and use a television, I'm curious how you control it. Do you use a special universal remote that you purchased? Do you use multiple remotes, perhaps a few incantations? Uh, Tell us about your remote situation. Paul? 
Well, I don't own it. No, that's not true at all. <laughs> uh, I, I have a television. I watch television. Not a ton, but I, I watch it enough. Uh, for me, everything runs through an Apple TV. Uh, it's So I'm using the Apple TV remote for everything I possibly can, which is, uh, you know, switching apps, uh, setting up whatever I'm going to watch, uh, volume control. It's all great, except I cannot do one thing. It does not turn off the television. Uh, so when I sleep the Apple TV and it says, like, sleep connected devices, it doesn't. Aww. And the TV sits there and then uh, flips to, uh, like, uh, over-the-air cable broadcast that cuts in and out. So if I leave the Apple TV alone long enough, it will go to sleep on its own. And then I will hear random noise from whatever channel has <laughs> tuned in. Uh, and it's awful. So I have two remotes. I have the Apple TV remote that I use for everything. And then I have the TV remote that I use to power off the television. I am very similar. Uh, I use the Apple TV remote for everything as well. It does turn on my television and oh, off my television. <laughs> I know. It's so good. And I, I since I set up a soundbar, a Sonos soundbar the other uh, last year or something, um, I can do all the volume control through that too. So that works pretty good. I have a bunch of connected game consoles. And most of those work pretty well with even turning uh, the TV on. Like if I hit the on button on the PS5, it turns the TV on and switches the correct input, mm-hmm. which is great. However, if I turn the PS5 off, it does not turn the TV off. So that's like the one thing I need to keep the TV remote around. How stupid is it that we live in this day and age? And it's like, I just need this other remote to press one For button. One button. <laughs> one button. Um, I think my older Xbox doesn't do as good, doesn't let you do the like turning stuff on and changing inputs, which is kind of a bummer, but I don't use that as much. And then I also have a Nintendo Switch hooked up, which I think does do like the changing inputs and turning stuff on and off, which is pretty great. So mostly there but like paul i'm kind of forced to go back to the tv remote but it's much better than the situation i used to be in where i feel like i had like three or four remotes so it's getting a little bit better every decade let's go with that (laughs) heather what about you um uh, so one thing i love about apple tv the service is that i can turn it on and off like a month at a time like i'll watch everything in one month and then i'll stop paying for it for a while so apple tv the hardware doesn't work for me i have a roku that's maybe seven years old um and it's great. It's also what I recommend for anybody trying to set up their parents because it's yeah. like the, the easiest interface for people who are like, I don't understand. Um, so I, I have that set up and I have two remotes and I do have to use the Samsung remote for volume and turning things on and off. And I've just accepted that. Uh, and I'm also I've always been very curious if anybody ever has used it, like the the little voice button on the side to <laughs> to use Alexa or another voice assistant to say, turn the channel or Play and or um, I've never heard of a real human doing that. Yeah. Anyways, so I'm not one of those humans either. I am also not one of those humans. I don't trust it. And so I'd rather not be disappointed if I can help it. Just in life (laughs) is a thing that I feel. If I don't have to be disappointed, then I try not to be. Um, I'm avoiding pain. It's what we do. Uh, So, yeah, I don't don't really use that feature. Uh, But anyway, I have uh, a pretty similar setup. My Apple TV, and because of the HDMI CEC uh, connection, my TV turns on when the Apple TV turns on. It turns off when the Apple TV turns off. We also have a PlayStation 5, but my partner's a little bougie, and so he actually <laughs> has... he. Um, we got a new television that 
it okay i i don't want to it was it's a it's a very 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 big um projector actually and um it the hdr on it is not as good as the hdr on sort of like a, a standard television and so he places playstation 5 on the more standard television that's a lot smaller and so we don't have to worry about the hdmi cec not working with that so yeah i just use the one we just use the one remote the apple tv remote and we do not use the siri features at all uh, thank you all for your answers on that let us move to our next topic which comes from paul okay so i was surprised that this has not come up on a on a recent episode but ai chat is suddenly everywhere uh and i'm curious if you folks have talked with it and if so where and what you did with it and if not uh why haven't you yeah um yeah i think we have talked about it yeah but it's been a few weeks um because it does sort of seem to go in waves and i have done uh, since the last time i talked about it i've tried some other stuff too i've been using chat gpt um occasionally once in a while like i just get an idea of like oh this is a thing that i can use chat gpt for like at one point i was trying to generate title ideas for a book uh, and i was like give me some ideas and it gave me some most of which were not very good um i even like fed it synopses of my books at various points uh i had a uh i was asking it grammar questions at one point too because i was like i mean does this sentence need a comma here or stuff like that which was kind of interesting and even just sometimes to unpack certain math ideas like i was trying to figure out like a percentage and like, extrapolating something based on a percentage it's like oh man I, I could probably figure this out if i really sat down and thought about it but like let me just ask the AI if it can sort of cut through all that noise. And for some of those things, it wasn't bad. Um, I've also used Bard a little bit, which is Google's Oof. new uh, yep. one. I Oof. was okay, but a little more limited, I think, in my uh, experience with it. I think I played around with Bing very briefly as well. Uh, didn't find that particularly... I, my, I mean, my, my acid test is still like typing in and see if it knows who I am. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if that's a good test or not. It's run the gamut so far from like, I have literally never heard of this person to here is some facts about this person that are not true. So um, most cases, not really passing that. But um, I do think it has some interesting implications. I like the idea of turning to it for things where it's like I could Google for comma rules or something or math, like explanations of math things and, and like wade through eight different search results until I find the thing that's actually what I'm looking for. Or I can just ask the AI and have it do it for me. Is it always right? Probably not. But, <laughs> you know, uh, it does feel like it at least saves me some time. Heather? I love that you're training the AI to know you as the guy who keeps trying to look himself up. And like eventually one day that'll be the answer. <laughs> it's, it's consistent, at least with my personality. Dan Morn is a self-obsessed weirdo. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's the title now, isn't it? <laughs> uh, um, I I do use I test them a lot for work and for different stories we're working on, and I find that I fall into these holes where I'm arguing with something that doesn't exist. Um, so we have a we have a 22 year old employee who's fantastic and smart and wonderful. And the other day we were talking about things, and somebody mentioned Monica Lewinsky, and she went. Who's that? So, oh. yeah. So I got to explain Monica Lewinsky to her and I was like, oh, I should make like a list of, you know, 90s and aughts, like pop culture incidences to explain oh. to her. Like we'll pick one a day. And so I went to chat GPT and I asked it. And before it would tell me anything, it gave me a mini lecture on the dangers of gossip. Um, <laughs> and so it, it gave me that a list. Hilarious. 
And so then I was like, well, you know, actually bias against gossip is sort of gendered and sexist and women tend to use gossip. as. And anyway, so I started lecturing the AI, which didn't go well. And it just is <laughs> constantly apologizing to you. It's just like, oh, I'm so sorry. Please don't leave me. And then um, so I just fall into these really random holes. And then 10 minutes have passed. And I'm like, why? Why am I here um, with something that doesn't know facts as a terrible writer? I'm going to go look at my phone. So anyways, that, that's what I use it for mostly is I start out with an idea and then I end up someplace terrible and then I turn it off. All right. I'm going to try to go quick here. So one uh, instance that I used it for, my hands have been super, super, super dry lately. And that's kind of, I, I have not experienced that before. So I said, Hey, got these dry cracking hands. Can you give me a hand regimen um, and give me some ideas for products I could get to help with that? I thought the, and, you're going to ask the AI to like massage your hands. <laughs> no. That's going to be interesting. Let's see how that goes. It provided a great like list of reasons. To, I, I, by the way, I'm using GPT-4 as opposed to 3.5. And I do think that, that does help. Um, it had yep. some great options for what to do, some even product suggestions of specific brands, which I was kind of caught off by. Um, another instance, I really quickly needed to get the titles of like the last 30 um, episodes of a podcast that uh, we had published, and I didn't want to go through and do it manually, and I did not have the Python foo I needed, so I asked it to do that. It gave me an answer. I uh, you know, used the script. I made some adjustments, and when I ran it, it wasn't working, and so I told it the specific error, and it was like, oh, that's probably because... It, the pip did not install the package in the right um, environment that you're using. So do this instead. I did. Then it worked. That was awesome. And then the other thing was I remembered uh, there was an episode of either a movie or a television show where there was a person who was taking um, antidepressants. And then they also ended up getting suggested to take St. John's wort. And they started to sort of spin out because St. John's wort makes your body more susceptible to uh, certain medications like antidepressants. And I could not remember what the show or the movie was. So I described it and it was able to tell me, hey, you're probably thinking of that episode of Veep. So some actual instances where it was very helpful to me uh, that kind of span the, the, the gamut of, of all the different options. Uh, Paul, why don't you round us out? Yeah, absolutely. So so that's this is all interesting hearing how other people are using it. I've played with this stuff in a few different places from OpenAI's site to Bing, uh, poked at Bard briefly, uh, but I haven't really used it for anything specific. Uh, the two the two sort of examples that I've seen from people close to me that were interesting was I had a friend who planned at least part of a vacation to Switzerland using Bing mm -hmm. sort of as like a first draft for a travel agent. Uh, from a travel agent rather. So, you know, it, it's, you know, what are some interesting things to do in Switzerland? And it gives you a list and, and you say like, well, okay, that, that doesn't sound that interesting. That does whatever. And, and, uh, you know, it's certainly, I, I wouldn't trust it to put together a final itinerary, but I would say, you know, all right, these three things sound interesting. And I didn't have to, as Dan said, wade through a dozen different search results just to pick out one thing from each one of them. And then the other one has been what you just described, Micah, which is, uh, seeing people use it to do coding, uh, for, you know, scripts and things like that. And the really interesting thing there has been seeing it correct itself or seeing it correct for errors. <laughs> uh, so a lot of this stuff has been, has been really interesting to, to see. 
to me right now, the, the best use case or sort of the best mindset is to think of it as like a first draft for almost anything. So Dan, your titles, uh, like here's mm-hmm. a whole bunch of titles. Uh, and now you read them over and you think, okay, I don't love any of those, but this one makes me think of something similar and, right. and I can build off of that. Uh, that, that to me is as sort of accelerating your thought process or, or speeding up your thought process on things is, is really compelling compared to just, uh, you know, what's the answer to this or, or just do something for me and, and trust that you're going to do it right. Because Dan, you mentioned, uh, having it do some math. And the one thing that I've seen is that it's pretty bad at math. All of these are often very bad at math. So I don't know what your math was for, but you may want to check the concept explained. It was like, if I need to get a percentage of this and extrapolate, like, well, how would I do that? You know, sort of thing. All right, so nothing's going to explode based on the answer that it gave. <laughs> I don't. I tend not to work in anything where there's a risk of something exploding because the, you, I'm not the person you want to trust on that. <laughs> not a nuclear physicist. <laughs> just play one on podcast. Uh, okay, well, that is four topics down, but we have just enough time for a bonus question. My question for you is, who is the best artist you've seen in a concert or an artist you're looking forward to seeing in concert? Heather? Um, I've seen Bowie. And I've seen Nina Simone, and I might never go to a concert again because they're really expensive now. <laughs> they are so expensive. I'm so jealous. Those both sound great. Um, the best uh, artist I ever saw in concert, they were made to perform in concert, it seems. It's Matt and Kim. And it was one of my first concerts that I ever went to. And I thought, wait, this is how it can be? It can be like this? I have to go to concerts all the time now. Um, yeah, Matt and Kim were fantastic. Paul? Uh, so the killers have definitely put on the best rock shows that I've ever seen. Just like the movie style. Like if you watch a movie and there's a rock concert, that's that's what the killers do is is it's incredibly entertaining and, and it's great and uh, worth seeing. I do not go to a lot of concerts. I was trying to remember the last one I've been to. And honestly, that's not like a like an orchestra concert. It's been a super long time. But I have tickets uh, the week of WWDC to go see my local uh, Boston Pops with the band Guster, who is my favorite band. And I am very excited also for local. that. Uh, yes, exactly. Somerville. Uh, thank you all for that. Hey, if you'd like to get ad-free episodes with an extra overtime topic every week, you can become a member of Clockwise. Just go to relay.fm slash clockwise and you can sign up for just $5 per month or $50 a year and you'll help support the show. In this week's overtime topic, we talk about handheld gaming. And with that, we have reached the end of the show. All that remains is for us to thank our fantastic guests this week. Heather Kelly, thank you so much for coming back to Clockwise. Thanks for inviting me over and over until I said yes. <laughs> and Paul Kafasis, thank you so much for being here. Uh, congratulations again on 497 episodes. <laughs> <Woo>! <laughs> and thank you, everybody out there for listening. We'll be back next week. But until then, we remind you, watch what you say. And keep watching the clock. Bye, everybody.